Hello. Hi. Welcome to Truly Fabulously Monstrous. A podcast about true crime and cryptids. I am half of your host, Hattie James. I am your other half of your host, Ace. Hello, uh, Ace. Hello, Hattie. You, how's it going? You said you sound tired. Yeah, uh, the ba- the Harbinger has been sick all week with oh. some crud. He had to get COVID tested. COVID test came back negative. Thank the Jesus. Good. Yay. Yeah, but it's like the middle crud. <laughs> yeah, except the main issue we're having is he's not used to being sick because we've been very good about keeping him in a bubble during the pandemic you know the global panini mm. uh but the problem with global that panorama. is yeah the problem with that is he's just barely getting his crud immune system no. uh so he'll just like wake up and you know if, if you and i were to get the crud like i have now you know you wake up you're like oh my head hurts and my I'm a little stuffy. That's inconvenient and roll over and go back to sleep. Well, he does that. But instead of like the internal, like the silent internal monologue of, oh, I'm uncomfortable. It's ear piercing shriek that's blood curdling and wakes parents up in a sh- dead panic with a cold sweat to rush and find that he just rolled over. <laughs> so, so no one's gotten any sleep. No one's gotten any sleep in this whole goddamn house in like four days. Uh, I'm tired. I, I'm so that tired. Sounds unpleasant. Not to change the subject abruptly. What is on top of the cabinet behind you? It looks like gritty. Oh, is it, it gritty? It is. Okay, so you know how um we have a mutual friend that was my childhood friend and you met and I was the mutual friend. Uh-huh. And you know, you've met her, you know her personality. Yes. That yes, was my Christmas you. present. It came in a duct taped pralines. 10 with a note that said um may this ancestral totem protect your house because it was right after philadelphia won biden the election and everyone was like oh there can only be one orange monster yeah 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 oh i love i love that so yeah that was that that was my christmas and we didn't know where to put it so <laughs> uh he's on top of that's a an old secretary desk that i was using oh, yeah. during my- this is in much nicer shape than the one in my parents old bedroom because they couldn't move it when they moved across the country they couldn't take the secretarial with them because it would literally fall apart <laughs> but like the desk is permanently open because it won't close but it also is wedged like held open by like a piece of plywood and if i take away that piece of plywood the whole front of the thing i'm pretty sure will fall off so that just is it's part of the house now yeah (laughs) we'll never move or leave that area it's just there i put that's where i keep like the cat's like container of cat food (laughs) i'm like this is the cat food desk it will fall apart if i sneeze too hard yeah ours was given to us by uh the husband's aunt and uncle uh because they knew i was working from home like do you want a desk and i was like sure and i was Ah. expecting like a desk and they gave me a secretarial so a fancy desk yes i do love secretarials they're very like ostentatious and yes fancy and very pretty and you can clearly store shit in them and on them (laughs) yep all right so we should get to the uh the story get to the spookies yes so tell me a spooky yes it's my turn to tell you a spooky so last season before we took our two-year hiatus uh i covered boggarts the potato season (laughs) yes 
I covered boggarts, which were a creature in British folklore made famous in popular culture by Turf Rowling. I mean, J.K. Rowling. Um, it's a depiction of them in the famous Harry Potter series and subsequent franchise that came out of that. I'm going to discuss another creature, this time of Scottish folklore, and I believe that Rowling may have taken some aspects and traits of this creation to make house elves, but we'll get into that further along. It also is related to Boggart, so it's kind of like the sequel, Boggart 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Or in this case, a Scottish boogaloo. Um, I'm going to be talking about brownies or brunies. They're also known as urisks and uh, gruagoks. I'm so excited. I you love know, brownies. Yeah. So uh, these things are household spirits belonging to the fairy race that are said to come out at night when the owners of the house are fast asleep and perform various household tasks on the caveat that the owner leaves out a bowl of milk, cream, honey, or a similar edible gift so they're Um, cats leave us honeyed cream (laughs) here's a very important thing if you call the gift a payment they don't like that so it's not a payment it's a gift it is a thank you gift not a transaction (laughs) it is a required gift yeah (laughs) that's like when i was in like catholic school and they would tell us that we had to do so many hours of community service every year. And it was volunteer hours. They called it, they were, they're like, you have to do this many volunteer hours. They're mandatory. Like, okay, so they're not volunteer. They're required. They're like, no, you're volunteering. I'm like, but I'm not volunteering. You have a choice. Here's like your list of things that you can like pick to volunteer for. I'm like, yep, yeah, but if it's required, it's not voluntary. I'm it's just not unpaid labor. It's unpaid labor, and I'm 14. <laughs> the original stories had brownies as uh, tutelary spirits or some sort of patron, guardian, or a minor protective deity. Okay. Uh, so Catherine Mary Briggs's book, The Fairies in Tradition and Literature, describes two types of tutelary beings. Ancestral fairies who attach themselves to a family and give advice or luck bringing or who bewail tragedy. Bewail. I love that word. (laughs) Uh, A chief example of this is banshees. So the other type of tutelary being is a brownie. And Briggs describes brownies as hobgoblins who perform tasks and will either attach itself to the family or the home, but they're not permanently attached to the family or the home. So fun fact. According to the Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology and Folklore, in 1919, the founder of the Girl Scouts named the youngest troop brownies after these playful spirits. This is kind of supported by the Encyclopedia of Fantasy, although according to Wikipedia, the name change was actually done by Lord Baden-Powell after the girls complained that they didn't like being called Rosebuds because it used to be the youngest group was called Rosebuds. (laughs) Um, But either way, it's known that the original Girl Scouts were taught the stories of brownies and taught to be helpful brownies instead of lazy boggarts. You know what? I always wondered, like growing, I always wondered if the name had any correlation. And I was like, no, there's no way they would be that cool. Like, you see, you. The Girl Scouts were inherently not cool. Like, I mean, actually, I take that back. The Girl Scouts are very cool. But like when I was a child, uh, the Girl Scouts were for uh, big old nerds who uh, wanted to be part of a cookie empire. <laughs> um, I was a Girl Scout until seventh grade. <laughs> you were part of the cookie empire. And that cookie empire the got me two free, 
<laughs> that Cookie Empire got me two free summers to Girl Scout camp. Like overnight Girl Scout camp, which is like $400 a week. Did you see where they make the cookies? No. What's the point? <laughs> because I got to like spend a free week camping away from my family with a bunch of other girls. I got bullied mercilessly, but it was an experience. I was never in the Girl Scouts. My sister was briefly, and then she suddenly wasn't. And I don't know why. And I don't know if I wasn't a Girl Scout because I wasn't allowed to be a Girl Scout or I just never showed any interest in being a Girl Scout. I don't have any memories of that. I just know that somewhere in a box in an attic is my sister's old Girl Scout uniform. And then all of a sudden one day she was no longer a Girl Scout. Yeah. I don't know why. And I never asked. I could probably find that out, but eh. Well, if you find out, let me know. All right, so moving on. In the um, Hebrides, the stories of the brownies seem to have divine origins, which are really the only links to them being considered protective deities. Mm -hmm. And because this was a custom to pour milk over sacred stones to convince the Gruagoks to guard their herds. Uh, however, other than this, there's not really much evidence that the brownie has Celtic or pre-Celtic origins and appears to be a later mythological development. Mm -hmm. So, again, going back to Catherine Mary Briggs, uh, she mentions a story told by a lady who lived at the time that fairies and tradition and literature was published, lived in Oxfordshire. And this lady was telling a story about her childhood uh, when she lived near Lemington Hall. And according to the story, uh, Marjorie Sowerby lived also near Lemington Hall and would visit the ladies who lived mm -hmm. at Lemington Hall. And these ladies were kind to the silky that dwelled within the house and a silky is a female spirit that also acts as a tutelary for those who inhabit the place she dwells so kind of different than an ancestral fairy but really close to a brownie the fun fact that i found out is silkies banshees brownies all of these things actually can overlap which i think is a really cool part of the lore and that's um, that's silkies that's different from selkies yes okay silk silky is a guardian spirit usually of a female usually dressed in white or gray garb that protects the family or the house that she's decided to latch on to okay so according to the story of lemington hall the silky would clean the hearth lay fires and leave a bunch of flowers on the staircases the old ladies always treated the silky well well by 1902 marjorie left the neighborhood where lemington hall resided and didn't have a chance to return till after the second world war the new occupant of Lemington Hall was not as congenial to the fairies and did not know of their customs, did not know you were supposed to leave gifts out, pretty much pissed the Silky off, and the Silky turned into a boggart. <laughs> the Brick says this often happened before, because the brownie, if unhappy, will turn into a boggart and be like, oh, I was helping you, but now I'm just going to haunt you and scare you and feed off you, and because I'm not attached to the house... Or you, I can leave when I want, but I can also follow you. Do you remember the story uh, when I did the Boggart tale two years ago? Um, they were trying to flee the Boggart, so they packed up, and the Boggart just followed them and was in their their little uh, wagon no. and was like, you can't get rid of me that easily. Yeah, they can pretty much do whatever they want. I'm, pre I'm pretty sure I talked about when you did the Boggart, I mentioned there was like a a children's book series that I was super obsessed with yes. as a kid that was like, yeah, it was a... They were in Scotland and there was the Boggart in the castle. And then the family that inherited the castle, like when the, the uh, Scottish man dies, like they show up and they accidentally bring the castle's Boggart back to Canada with them. 
that Boggart's origins were probably it was originally a brownie in the castle, but was mistreated. So a, a few texts I found suggested that Billy Blind, who is a folkloric figure who's featured in a lot of Scottish folk stories, is a male banshee who, like the ancestral fairy, would predict deaths, warn and advise his charges, but would often also act as a brownie and help out around the house. So again, these spirits can overlap. So while most brownies are face spirits, some are, well, normal spirits, <laughs> uh, such as the case of the cold lad of Hilton. According to legend, a stable boy named Robert Skelton was either, and this is again the multiple stories, was either courting the Baron Hilton's daughter or overslept an assignment. One extreme or the other, either way, the Baron was not happy and murdered him either by stabbing him with a pitchfork, decapitating him with a scythe, or beating him to death with a riding crop. Oh, no. The Baron was then said to have disposed of his body, either in a pond or a well, where it was discovered a few months later. Uh, the Baron was tried for the murder, but being rich and powerful, was able to not only procure an alibi, but also convince an old farmer to give a story that Skelton was ordered to remove a tool from the top shelf of the barn. And the tool fell on him, and he died of his injuries. And the Baron Hilton <laughs> tried to tend to his injuries and save him. And then in a panic, they incorrectly disposed of his body. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Either way, there is on actual literal record in Sunderland reports of Robert Hilton, 13th Baron Hilton, being pardoned for murder in 1609. Okay. Um, so according, this is where it becomes a ghost story. Uh, soon after, the servants began noticing the kitchen, if left a mess the night before, would be clean in the morning. Chamber pots were either being emptied properly or just dumped onto the floor. Oh, that's quite a difference. Yeah. That's quite an either or there. Yeah. And <laughs> the most disturbing is piles of hot ash would be scooped out of the fireplace and there'd be an impression in it like somebody laid down on the hot ash. So eventually Sometimes the cook was those Scottish places had like dwellings can get real cold, I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, eventually a cook stayed up to see who was doing this and saw the ghost of a half-naked boy entering the kitchen crying, "I'm cold. I'm cold." So the cook and his wife the following night left a warm cloak out and then they heard, here's the cloak, here's the hood, the cold lad of Hilton will do no more good. And the occurrences just stopped. And uh, a song that some iterations of this story claim is that when the cook found him, the spirit was going around the house going, way is me, way is me, the acorn not yet fallen from the tree, that's to grow the wood, that's to make the cradle, that's to rock the bairn, that's to grow the man, that's to lay me. Which translates to, in Scott, uh, woe is me, woe is me, the acorn not yet fallen from the tree, to grow the wood, that's to make the cradle, to rock the baby, to grow the man, that's to exercise me. So John Milton makes an appearance in this story as well. Oh, that John Milton, he gets around. Yeah. Um, Breaking epitaphs for cool ladies, showing up with brownies. So have you read his famous poem, L'Allegro? Hang on, I'm going to say it again. L'Allegro. I probably read it at some point during college, but I also it's read very a lot long. of other things in college, and I don't remember. It's very long. Hundreds of I lines. probably skimmed it because I have this thing with poetry where sometimes when it's really long, I get real excited about it, like uh, really good translations of Beowulf. And then sometimes when they're really long, I find the Sparknotes version and I read like every other verse, like um, 
anything by uh, T.S. Eliot. Yes. And the poem was The Wasteland. You could have just said, isn't that Cats? Yes, but those were good poems. Uh, after those the, the were musical... poems I didn't skip. Like, those were poems I memorized at one point. But The Wasteland can suck it. I hate The Wasteland. Okay. But uh, T.S. Eliot and his fun, fun poems about the Rum Tum Tugger and the marvelous headdressing of cats because cats have seen... I'm just saying, Andrew Lloyd Webber did those poems a disservice and Cats is a terrible musical there. I said it. No one's disputing that Cats is terrible. I don't know who you think you need to defend that stance to. I have not met a single person who unironically likes Cats. The musical. When I saw it live and was a young child, I did think it was the coolest thing ever. That was also the 90s. It was also the... And I mean, the songs are catchy. Uh, so he, about a hundred lines into this exhaustingly long poem, he describes a brownie. He says, with stories told of many a feat, how fairy Mab the junkets eat. She was pinched and pulled, she said, by his friar's lanthorn lead. Tells how the drudgling goblin sweat to earn his cream bowl duly set. When in one night, ere glimpse of morn, his shadowy flail hath threshed the corn that ten day laborers could not end. Then lies him down the lubber feigned and stretched out all the chimney's length basks at the fire of his hairy strength and cropful out of doors. He flings ere the first cock his manton rings. Thus done the tales to bed. They creep by whispering winds soon lulled to sleep. That does sound familiar. I have read that one. Yes. Speaking of creative writings. In the Fablehaven books, which were written by Brandon and Mull, the brownies were tiny human-like creatures with leafy ears who will repair anything broken throughout the house or fortify and improve anything broken around the house when the residents sleep if you leave out any ingredients they can use to make tasty desserts. They will then take those ingredients and make a dessert of their choosing, which is where the book states the dessert brownie gets his name. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna say, like, I did look it up. This is fiction. I could not find anything to say this is true. The first written use of the word brownie to describe a cookie-like bar confection thing was in the 1896 version of the Boston Cooking School's cookbook by Fanny Farmer. Like, there's nothing to suggest the name brownie comes from brownies. But going back to what we were talking about before, you were the cool kind of kid who was like, oh, could Girl Scout brownies be named after the Scottish mythical creature? And I'm sitting there as a Girl Scout thinking, are brownies named after the dessert? I'm pretty sure they named the dessert brownies because they were brown. Yes, the first brownie was a molasses bar. So now I've rambled a bit about brownies, but I haven't really described them. Uh, per the Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology and Folklore, most Can I tell of- you, before you describe them, can I tell you what I always think of when I hear the term? Huh. I think of the little potato-looking gnomes that are in the Weasley's Garden in Harry lawn- Potter. Lawn gnomes? Yes, I think of, uh, like, when she would when she wrote those books, she described lawn gnomes. I'm like, is she talking about brownies? Because that's what I always pictured them to look like. Little, like, impy-looking frights. Yeah. <laughs> I'm probably wrong. Well, per the Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology and Folklore, most observers claim they are stout, hairy men, although they don't always have to be fat. Sometimes they can be short, skinny, hairy men. It did specify that. They have to be hairy, though. No, because it also specifies that some aren't full body hair. They just have long, 
flowy hair instead of hair covering their bodies. And they're usually hobbits. So other sources consider them brown skin, possibly reason for the name. People think I wonder why I wonder why they have my button. I'm not getting into it. And while they originally were human-sized or larger, whoa, whoa, what? They they have in more recent times been described as small. But the original ones were humans. Um they're much less cute. <laughs> yeah. While some accounts, such as the Lemington Hall story, depict a brownie as female, most oftentimes they are depicted as male sprites. And some stories claim that these brownies can become invisible and prefer to go unseen and unheard, quietly getting their work done, and they like to occupy unused parts of the home that they aid. So, like, a broom closet, or in my case, the, the pile of boxes we still haven't unpacked, even though we've lived here two years. That's where they'd probably live. They don't live here. I don't put out cream or anything. And if I do, I get ants instead of a clean house in the morning. <laughs> if you call the gifts you leave out for them payment, or if you mistreat them in any way, they're either known to turn into boggarts or leave and never return. And furthermore, and this is where I think Rowling stole some inspiration. And I'm, Brownies are often either naked or wearing tattered, ragged clothing. And if you try to gift them clothes, they will get offended and leave. So I'm going to go off now on an unchecked, purely speculative, personal opinion-laden hypothesis. I believe that the house elves from Turf Rolling, I mean J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter series, are loosely based on brownies. And actually, the Wikipedia article when discussing the modern fantasy of brownies does draw this correlation because they are small usually ugly, wrinkly, little impish creatures who wear rags and happily clean the home of the ones they serve and prefer to be out of sight and out of mind and absolutely do not want payment but wouldn't mind gifts, although if you gift them clothing, they're not your servant anymore. But I cannot go as far as to say they are 100% based on brownies, and if they are, then that would mean turf rolling, I mean JK Rowling, needs to be shamed for such bad recon work into brownies. So, the brownie isn't tied to the family. We already went over how ancestral fairies and the brownies are two different types of tutelary spirit. And while, yes, the case of Billy Blind and a few others is common that different types of fairies and spirits can overlap, so maybe they could follow one family from generation to generation, the usual trait of brownies is that they are not tied unimpeachably to the family they serve and they will willingly help those who reside in the home they choose to live in and if they don't like how they are treated or they feel like they're being exploited they will either say fuck this shit i'm out (laughs) they will go find a new home to help or they will turn into a bogger and drive the family away so that they can stay in the nice home they like because they're like man i just live here (laughs) yeah (laughs) and if you give me something nice maybe i'll help out around the house The late 1800s saw growth of brownies being depicted in children's literature brought to the most prominence by Juliana Horatia Ewing, who wrote a short story called The Brownies, in which a lazy child tries to search for a brownie to do his work for him. And across his travels, he finds a wise old owl, you know, as you do, who tells him, you know, as you do, because owls speak human language. Of course they do. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this owl tells this selfish child, you know, brownies don't actually exist. In fact, brownies are actually just good children who do chores without having to be asked by their parents. The real brownies were the friendships you made along the way. Yeah. So inspired, the boy goes home anew, reborn. 
<laughs> no longer the selfish and helpful child, and he convinces his little brother to join him, and together they both become their household's brownies. This story in particular sparked the idea of calling good children who are helpful and kind brownies, and now we've come full circle and are back to the origin of the name brownies for the youngest Girl Scout troop, and how things neatly tie together. And because of that, I felt like that was a good place to stop. I, there's obviously a lot more, but for the sake of not having to edit and then subsequently upload a three-hour episode, <laughs> I think this is a good place to stop. I feel like I've covered enough to say that that is the story of the lore behind Brownies. Uh, so as always, I started off on Wikipedia, and from there I found more sources. I particularly use the Encyclopedia of Fantasy, Fairies in Tradition and Literature, that one's by Catherine and Mary Briggs, and the Encyclopedia of Celtic Mythology and Folklore. I also, unfortunately, read John Milton's L'Allegro, <laughs> which hurt, and other various sources on John occult. John Milton will do that to you sometimes. Yeah. He's either, it's a, the two reactions to John Milton, it's either like, ah, oh, beautiful, artistic poetry, uh, second reaction, ow, my brain. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and then I read a bunch of various souls sources on the the cold lad of Hilton. So okay. yeah, that's that's the awesome. Story. I love it, brownies! Yay! I just like how it like tied nicely in to the Ew. fact that I've already talked about Boggarts, and like <laughs> this is the this is the prequel to Boggarts. <laughs> so yeah. Da, 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 da. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, good job. That's very, that's very good. Thank you. Very good stories. Love it. Thank uh, you. So where can people find us if they want to uh, go a search in? They can find us if, first if they decide that they have questions, comments, concerns, criticism, feedback, simple I love yous and sweet nothings. They can email us at trulyfabulouslymonstrous at gmail.com. Or we are on Instagram at Truly Fabulously Monstrous. And we are on Twitter at TFAB MonsterPod. Yeah, so uh, join us next time when Ace should be telling us a true crime or something related to a true crime. Yes, yes. And uh, I, I have, I finished my notes on it last night. Yeah, I saw your tweet. Thanks. Uh, I'm looking forward to the two hours of content. <laughs> sorry uh yes tune in next time for another edition of ace has no chill and has six pages of single space notes tune in next time we'll be there and we hope you will too bye, bye. tom tugger is it <laughs>